Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep broadcasting. Go to 3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Stick Together, your national weekly update on union and social justice campaigns on the Community Radio Network. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and is available for podcast at www.3cr.org.au. I'm Diana Beaumont. Stick with me for the next half an hour. There's lots of union news to report on this week. Later in the program, we'll hear about a 10-day campaign of industrial action by workers in Centrelink, Medicare, airport biosecurity and other federal agencies. They're protesting against cuts to pay and conditions. We'll speak to Lisa Newman, Deputy National President of the Community and Public Sector Union. Then we'll hear about how the Retail and Hospitality Union, the SDA, has drawn fierce criticism for signing a deal with the South Australian Business Council to reduce penalty rates for workers in small retailers. We'll speak to Anthony Main from the Socialist Party in Melbourne and organiser with the Unite Union for Fast Food and Retail Workers later in today's show. And first on the program today, a good news story and a win against union busting in the tertiary education sector. One way for employers to get around union agreements in any sector is to set up separate subsidiary companies to carry out parts of the business operations. This sounds fairly blatant and shameless, but that's exactly what Swinburne University tried to do in Melbourne until it was challenged in court by the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU. Swinburne had tried to move its fast-track degree programs and English language courses under a separate subsidiary company called Swinburne College Proprietary Limited, in which staff would receive lower pay and conditions than their main Swinburne University colleagues. The NTEU challenged Swinburne in court, and after a two-year dispute, Swinburne has agreed to settle the matter and close the subsidiary company. Joining us today to speak about this great outcome for Swinburne staff is Victorian Secretary of the NTEU, Colin Long. Colin, thanks for joining us and congratulations on a great result. Oh, thanks very much. Yes, it has been a, a relatively long process but a worthwhile one. Um, what did Swinburne stand to gain from setting up this separate subsidiary company? Well, effectively, they were trying to get around the union and get around our collective agreement and uh, reduce costs by undermining the terms and conditions of employment of staff. So it was to get more control over the workforce and to get a cheaper workforce, basically. And what would have been the difference in quantitative terms between the pay and working conditions of staff in the main section of Swinburne and in this subsidiary company? The main issue was it was going to be an incredibly stripped-back agreement without all of the usual sorts of protections around redundancy, around workloads and so on that we have in our normal agreements and uh, reduced uh, pay. I, I just can't remember at the moment what the, um, the pay...
pay figure was in the end because we actually managed to knock off the agreement um, very early in this whole process, about two years ago, where we applied it to the Fair Work Commission and got it to refuse to register the agreement. So that was done fairly early in this whole process, actually. And it was in that process that we discovered documents issued by or used by uh, Swinburne, which to us looked like adverse action. Our argument was that Swinburne took, took adverse action because they were effectively discriminating against people based on their membership of a union and trying to exclude the union from uh, the setting of terms and conditions of employment in a new agreement. And you said that the Fair Work Commission threw out the Swinburne's efforts to have an agreement in the subsidiary company fairly early. On what yep. grounds did the Fair Work Commission refuse to accept that agreement? Well, we intervened uh, and said that it wasn't an agreement which was fairly uh, made with the, those the workers who were likely to be employed or who were going to be employed by the company. So what they'd done, they'd set up a sort of a shell company and moved four staff into it and uh, tame staff who were prepared to do what management wanted. Um, I'm not even sure where they came from, to be honest. And um, so they they were going to do the deal with those four staff and then move the rest of the 150 or so staff in there once they had this new collective agreement in place and th- those 150 staff would have had to sacrifice their other terms and conditions of employment that existed um, within the, their main place of work uh, because they were going to be transferred into a completely new entity. So that's um, that's how that process took place. We intervened. We said this is not fair. These, these are not the people who are going to be employed in this new company. There's only four people. This is clearly not a, a sham operation and, and the Commission accepted that. And then we had to go to the federal court on the adverse action claim, and that's, that has taken somewhat longer. And you've likened Swinburne's efforts to transfer its staff into this separate subsidiary company to the Patrick Stevedore's dispute in 1998. Why do you make that analogy? Well, because just as with Patrick Stevedore's, that was an attempt by shipping companies with the support of the government of the day, people might recall, to... What they did is sack their whole workforce and then they were going to create a new company, bring some new people into it on a completely different um, terms and conditions and then uh, hand all the work previously done by uh, their workforce to this new company. So there are parallels. It's not exactly the same, but in, in the sense that they created a new company, they moved a few... Uh, they created a new terms and conditions of employment and then they were going to, rather than sack their workforce, but they were going to move all of their existing workforce into this company, but on uh, reduced terms and conditions of employment. The Patrick Stevedore's dispute was um, an attempt by the federal government as well to de-unionise the docks, which was successfully fought, fought against. Um, this has been an attempt by one university to de-unionise part of its workforce. Um, so, and it is, it's the first time we've ever encountered this sort of thing in the university sector. Uh, it's a bit of a, a concern and that was why, one of the reasons why it was important we defeated it because uh, 
universities are not big multinational stevedoring companies. They are public institutions and they should behave uh, like public institutions, that is, respectfully and honestly towards um, their employees, and that wasn't the case with Swinburne. We know that this federal government um, believes that there should be a rollback of the union agreements and the pay and conditions across all sectors. Does the federal government weigh in when it comes to tertiary education? For example, is there pressure from the federal government on university management to find cost savings by rolling back the pay and conditions that have been won through EBAs? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, and. We, we have seen that in the tertiary education sector very explicitly in the past. So in the Howard years, uh, they introduced what was called the Higher Education Workplace Reform Requirements, uh, which was a certain amount of money was held back from universities on condition that they uh, introduced changes to uh, the industrial relations system within universities and tried to strip out union involvement in agreements and reduce our terms and conditions in general. But we managed to survive that. We, ne- we negotiated new collective agreements which managed to get the universities their money but um, and didn't strip our conditions too much. And in the last uh, round of bargaining, we've been trying to rein- reinstate and restore those conditions and we've been very successful in that, in restoring the place of the, the union as well. This government, I think, it's, it hasn't done that sort of di- very direct regulation of uh, industrial or workplace relations issues. But what it intends to do is cut funding so substantially. The 20% cut is still on the table, of course. Universities will be forced to try and renegotiate agreements and cut terms and conditions and increase casualisation and increase workloads and so on. So I think that's the approach the government will take rather than uh, very direct interference in negotiations between the managers and the union. Well, Colin, congratulations on at least fending off one effort in the case of Swinburne that would have helped them to cut their costs by setting up the subsidiary company. That's avoided setting a, a negative precedent and we wish your union all, be- all the best for campaigning to come. We've been speaking to Colin Long, Victorian Secretary of the National Tertiary Education Union. All the best, Colin. Thank you. You're listening to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. Every week on the Community Radio Network. And remember, you can get podcasts of past programs of Stick Together at 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. And now for our next story today. 11,000 jobs were cut from the Federal Public Service in 2014. Now the Federal Government is trying to cut the pay of public servants in its new union agreement with the Community and Public Sector Union, the CPSU. The Federal Government is only offering a pay adjustment of between 0 and 1%, well below inflation. And on top of that, it's trying to take away workplace rights for workers in the public sector. The CPSU is not taking these threats lying down. Starting on Monday the 30th of March, 15,000 union members began 10 days of industrial action across 500 different work sites, including Centrelink, Medicare and airport biosecurity. 
Joining us today to talk more about the industrial campaign is Lisa Newman, who's Deputy National President of the CPSU. Lisa, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Great to be with you. Tell us, what kind of industrial action are members taking this week? Um, there's a range of actions being taken, uh, including the reading of statements in support of our campaign, uh, handing out information to uh, customers, members of the public, um, uh, the um, uh, deferral of the use of auxiliary clothes in call centres, which um, basically uh, help the department manage and measure the work that's been done by individual workers, and uh, also coordinated breaks. So we're getting union members to take their lunch break at the same time, uh, which will have the effect in some areas of um, significantly affecting telephone queues and closing uh, customer service centres. Uh, so it's not a full-on strike, you're just using breaks strategically and taking the opportunity to talk to clients about how government cuts will affect them? At, that's right, at this stage it's uh, not stoppages but um, I've got to say that uh, unless we can um, get some sensible discussion with the, de- uh, the the government, we are very likely to move to stoppages. And there are a lot of different workplaces and departments involved in this campaign, like Centrelink, Medicare and the biosecurity at airports. How is it that all of these different units are bargaining together? The bargaining is happening on a, at an agency level, um, uh, but what we've found is that um, all of the employer representatives that are at the table opposite all of our bargaining teams, regardless of the agency, are running up against a policy that means that um, uh, any pay offers are having to be funded by quite vicious attacks on terms and conditions. And in DHS, just as an example, when 60% of your current conditions are on the chopping block for a pay increase that will drive your real wages backwards, I don't know any group of workers that would um, uh, readily sign up for that deal. And it's no surprise that more and more people, uh, as these offers are being made, are rejecting them. And tell us more about the changes that these federal departments are asking for in terms of working conditions. Look, it's so expansive, it's hard to know where to start. So um, we are seeing cuts to leave entitlements, uh, uh, sick leave and uh, uh, recreational leave or annual leave, uh, changes to the way rostering is done uh, to remove uh, rights of staff in relation to changes of rosters, access to flexible hours, which is incredibly important for working women, um, uh, changes to part-time hours arrangements. Uh, indeed, in DHS, they, uh, they proposed agreement, the last offer that we saw, it removed the right to access flexible working hours. So it, could, uh, it could only be accessed by request and therefore the, uh, the uh, agreement of the departments. And this increase in pressure on uh, federal public servants doesn't only come from this latest EBA round. As I mentioned in the introduction, there were 11,000 job cuts in the federal public service last year. Now the government is trying to cut pay and squeeze conditions. Tell us, what's the impact on workload for federal public servants of all of this? 
it's been massive and in the Department of Human Services which covers Centrelink Medicare child support um, we have seen um, client aggression incidents come from uh, long queues and wait times um, skyrocket so we've just done a client aggression survey uh, across our membership in DHS and one of the stories that has just come out of that shocked me um, uh, one of our members told us uh, about somebody who had been frustrated that they had not been seen. Uh, they were the last client in the office and um, uh, she was physically assaulted by that client and uh, has, as a result of that assault uh, suffered a permanent injury. So um, these kind of incidents uh, increasing in frequency and you know there are simply not enough staff to do the work that uh, is required and I've got to say that's something that both governments need to take responsibility for because um, you know both governments are equally guilty of using the public service like some sort of magic pudding that they can cut and cut and cut and yet increase uh, the demands of, of service. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's the community and the workers delivering those services that pay the price for that. We're speaking to Lisa Newman, who's the Deputy National President of the Community and Public Sector Union, about industrial action by uh, federal public servants. Lisa, obviously your members care about the quality of service to, to clients and about the welfare of their clients as well as their own working conditions. Can you tell us what is the CPSU doing to fight the federal government's agenda of cuts to Centrelink and increases in uh, payments under Medicare and things like that? We're really concerned at the moment that the current government has put out an expression of interest for um, the privatisation or outsourcing of the Medicare payment system. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a database that uh, keeps records on, um, you know, uh, all Australians. It's actually the biggest database um, the government owns. With a lot of private information. A lot of private information, a lot of private information that affects you uh, and, and, and me as individuals and, you know, we think that that uh, data needs to be kept strictly under um, government control and needs to be administered by uh, public servants. Uh, while some people may have uh, may think that the issue about the co-payment for Medicare has been resolved, in fact hasn't because... Um, the rebate levels are just another way of harvesting savings out of that system. Um, but, uh, you know, people, uh, the community uh, also needs to realise that um, if this expression of interest process goes further, uh, we could see the privatisation of uh, the Medicare system as we know it through the back door. Well, Lisa Newman, Deputy National President of the CPSU, thanks so much for joining us on Stick Together today and all the best with this industrial campaign. No worries. Thank you very much for your time. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. 
Unfortunately, there's been a setback in the campaign to preserve penalty rates for workers doing evening and weekend shifts. A deal has been struck between the South Australian Business Council and the SDA, the Union for Retail and Hospitality Workers. Um, and you would have heard the Meat Workers Union, the AMEIU, on my last Stick Together program, criticising the SDA for giving up important workplace rights in its EBAs with Coles and Woolworths supermarkets. But now the SDA's compromises have extended to the small business sector. This template agreement that the SDA has signed with the South Australian Business Council abolishes penalty rates entirely on weeknights and Saturdays, reduces Sunday rates from a 100% to a 50% loading on Sundays, and reduces public holiday loadings from 150% to 100%. And the, the deal has generated fierce criticism from other unions and labour activists, even the former Secretary of the Australian Workers' Union and Labor Party MP in South Australia, Bob Sneath, has criticised the deal, saying, quote, if Labor politicians stand up in the House and say they support this, they should resign. For his part, the SDA State Secretary in South Australia, Peter Malinakis, has insisted that workers will not be left worse off because the deal sets a higher base rate for regular working hours and workers maintain the right to refuse weekend work if they don't want it. Now, to look at this deal in more detail and to consider the precedent that it sets for other workers, we're joined today by Anthony Maine from the Socialist Party in Melbourne and also an organiser with the Unite Union for Fast Food and Retail Workers. Anthony, thanks for joining us once again on Stick Together. No problem. Well, firstly, um, yeah, this isn't the first time that the SDA or other unions, for that matter, have signed deals that reduce or remove penalty rates. Can you uh, talk about how the, you know, the erosion of penalty rates has sort of crept in gradually to various agreements in other sectors of the industry? Yeah, look, you're right about that. It's definitely not the first time that the SDA have done this. Um, they've, they've, they've got a whole number of agreements with major Retail chains, I mean, most recently, I think they did an agreement with Target that actually got rid of penalty rates for a a slightly increased base rate as well. But this template agreement that they've struck with Business SA is an attempt to um, sort of extend that approach uh, across the small and medium business sector as well. But obviously, it's a major problem. Um, We've got penalty rates that were sort of first fought for and won by the working class movement about 100 odd years ago in, in the first instance. You know, the fact that we're going back on that, I think, is a real real setback at this point in time. Yeah, the SDA in its media statement has said that they've done dozens of similar agreements whereby um, they trade off the penalty rates for a higher base rate of pay. Um, what's the status of this new template agreement that they've signed with the South Australian Business Council? Uh, like, Is the SDA essentially saying that it won't contest it if any small businesses do seek to implement it? I think the way that they, they hope that it works is that you've got Business SA and, and the SDA leadership have sat down, they've written up this template agreement and what they're doing, what Business SA are now doing is going to their members, to their business affiliates and saying, look, if you want to get penalty rates knocked off on weekends and after six o'clock and on Saturdays, etc., come and see us, we'll give you this template agreement, head down to the SDA office and sign up, and that's a way for you to reduce your operating costs, for you to reduce your wages bill. And in exchange, the SDA will say, yes, thank you very much, here's the agreement, we'll all go into the fair work together and get that signed off. Um, And the only thing we want in exchange is to sign up the members in your shop. 
Um, so this is basically the type of sweetheart deals that the SDA have done with the major retail chains going back decades. But in my mind, what this is actually an attempt to do is to extend their coverage into small and medium business sector as well, um, whereby they try and sew up some of these closed shops and um, you know, increase their, their influence. I mean, as we know, at the minute they've got about 230,000 members and they affiliate to the ALP and the ACTU on that basis and they, um, they wield un, undue influence on that basis and we know that they, they have huge influence in the, the right-wing faction of the ALP and um, also, you know, have a lot of influence on the direction of the ACTU as well. So that's their, that's their, um, their aims and ambitions, the SDA anyway. They're using this as a way to extend their influence in order to you know, carry a bit more political weight. And unfortunately, this deal might um, influence the debate over penalty rates and give more ammunition for anyone campaigning for the Fair Work Commission to reduce penalty rates or um, you know, campaign for a national reduction of penalty rates in the small business or hospitality sector. Um, talk about the importance of penalty rates in general. I mean, 40 to 45% of the workers in the retail industry are casual. Why are penalty rates especially important for casual work? Well, this is the thing, I mean, just in regards to the SDA's arguments about, well, look, actually, they're going to get a guaranteed 3% pay rise, etc., and the right to refuse work. Um, You're really not going to get the right to refuse work. Anyone who's worked in fast food or retail or any of these shops knows the type of, you know, there's not an equal power balance that takes place between the employer and the employee. You basically, if you're casual, you basically get told when and when you're working. And the idea that you've got the right to refuse shifts, I mean, it's all sorts of rights, but a lot of them are not enforceable um, unless you've got a proper union presence and and, and power on the the job itself. On my last Stick Together program a month ago, I covered the dispute between the Meat Workers Union and the Transport Workers Union um, against Coles, which is seeking to sign an exclusive deal with the SDA to cover all Coles employees. What relevance does this South Australian deal on penalty rates have to the Coles dispute? Well, look, I think it's, I mean, as you said earlier on, I mean, it's all sort of stacking up a case against penalty rates as a whole. We know that the employers would like legislative change and, you know, change in in the Fair Work Commission in regards to taking penalty rates out of awards. I mean, in my mind, there's no way that the Abbott government can achieve any sort of legislative change in this particular term because of how weak Abbott is, because of the problems that they face in the Senate, etc., um, and obviously they, they will like that, that the legislative stuff will be put off to the future, but where the battle is actually taking place is on the, the shop floor and we need to be unions need to be fighting together in order to defend every single last you know condition, including particularly penalty rates, um, to ensure that they're not being wound back. Unfortunately, we've got a situation where the SDA are sort of broken ranks with the union movement, if you like, um, and gone away for their own selfish reasons. Um, to try and sign these dodgy deals in order to extend their own political influence. And uh, the problem that you've got is you've got the ACTU out there attempting to run a campaign about the importance of penalty rates, and then you've got their biggest affiliate who's going out there being, um, you know, undermining the entire premise of it. So I think that there really needs to be a major discussion in the trade union movement about the role of the SDA, about um, how we actually are going to stop this, you know, uh, you know, people, employers unwinding the penalty rates and some of these basic conditions that have been hard fought for. Well, it's a good note to end on. Anthony Main, organiser with the Socialist Party in Melbourne and the Unite Union for Fast Food and Retail Workers, thanks for joining us today on Stick Together. Thanks so much. Cheers. 
And that's all we have time for today here on the Community Radio Network. You can get in contact with us here at Stick Together via our Facebook page or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for its support of the program. I'm Diana Beaumont. Thanks for listening and do tune in again at the same time next week. 